just worship him this morning. Come on, with hands lifted, your voices lifted, sing and everything you is.
Welcome to 2021. 
It's funny how God can speak to you in various ways, in various places. I was listening to sports radio talk show, talk show sports. And I really enjoy that because it makes me feel more intelligent. And they were talking, <laughs> I was talking about 2020. And one of the um, commentators said something that really, really pricked my conscience. He said, 2020 wasn't the worst year of my life. Now, for some it was. But I think it's really easy to get caught up in the spirit of the age and say, well, that was the worst year of my life. It's been a difficult year. It's been a changing year. But I can tell you from my wife and I's perspective, this was not the worst year of our life. Not, not a chance. And that as we look back, change and pressure accelerates change. And God has moved us into some new places for which I'm thankful. I'm not thankful for the vehicle, <laughs> but I'm thankful for the destination. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I do believe this year as we begin the year by going into the book of Hebrews, that 2021 will be a year of better things because we have a better Savior and we have much to be thankful for. We have much to be thankful for. So I want you to think about that. And if for you, 2020 was a horrible year, the worst of your life, I empathize and sympathize and I'm, I'm really sorry for that for you because I know it was for some, but it wasn't for us all. I can also say, though, for us all, we can all move forward to better things. Amen. Amen? So let's believe that for the church and for all of us. Why can you believe that? Because his body was broken for me. Hello? Come on, his body was broken for me. Would you take the wafer right now and give thanks to Jesus Christ for the sacrifice that he made for all of us? Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thankful that you are willing to come and live among us and provide for us a new way of life. That you are a better savior than anything this world could offer anyone at any time in any place. We thank you for your body broken for us. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the bread together. And now, Lord, we thank you for this cup, the new covenant that washes away sin and makes us new and clean and whole. Thankful that as we look into 2021, we don't have to carry the baggage of 2020 with us because your blood cleanses, your blood delivers, your blood sets us free. And for that, we are thankful. This blood of the new covenant in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the cup together. What a savior. Hallelujah, what a savior, magnify him. What a savior, magnify him.
God. Father, we honor your presence this morning. Father, right now I pray that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, and Lord, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I want him to breathe on me, amen. Amen. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. We have an opportunity to not just celebrate the new year, but to be the new year. And I want to talk to you just for a minute. Normally we try to eliminate announcements to other places, but there are a couple things I want to talk to you about um, to kind of start off the new year. We're, the key words for 2020 were pivot and real life um, decisions, real time decisions. And I just, we're going to continue to have to pivot. Things are continuing to evolve and change. So one of the things we've pivoted is coffee is back. <laughs> Please honor social distancing while you're at the table. Or there won't be coffee next week. All right. Children, how many hear me? <laughs> um, and this thought came to me. I want you to just, I don't know who this is for or why. But um, believe it or not, I've, I've played a little basketball in my uh, maturing years. Um, I played center. <laughs> and how many know what a pivot is in basketball? Your pivot foot? Pivot foot, you plant on a point, and you can go anywhere you want to go as long as you stay connected to that point. Okay. We are going to do our best to pivot with what the game is giving us, but we're never moving our foot from the point of the gospel and Jesus Christ and the truth of the message of Jesus. Just understand, if it's not, the, if it's not about him, everything else can change. 
but that foot is staying planted. We're not moving. Um, that would be a violation of the game. So help us out with that, and we'll look as we continue to expand. You've also seen probably that the yellow vests are gone, and we've put those away. Why? Because the CDC now says it was totally unnecessary. So um, I, I appreciate good information. And so we'll be pivoting with that and making some changes. So just keep all that in mind. January is Sanctity of Life Month. And uh, over the years, we've done a variety of things with Sanctity of Life Month to um, really challenge the darkness. I do believe that abortion is a crime that our nation will answer to God for in eternity. The blood of the babies that are crying from the ground. And if you want to debate that, feel free, you'll lose. But I'd be glad for the debate. Um, and all the arguments you want to give me, I've got an answer for. I've been at this battle a while. But I think there are also times that we need to stop cursing the darkness and start lighting a candle. So, and we do that. We support a couple of ministries in the Des Moines area, one in particular that we're going to emphasize in the month of January through this whole month, and that's Agape Pregnancy Resource Center, giving an option to young women who feel like they don't have a choice. There is a choice, there is a better way, and Agape is there to do that. So there are two things that you can do and one thing that our children will be doing. This month in Filling Station, instead of Buddy Barrel, we're gonna do baby bottles, and they'll be gathering coins, just like they would for missions, to give to this particular ministry. You can do one of two things. Number one, if you want to, you can purchase new clothes, shoes, socks, small toys, and books. Emphasis on new. New clothes, shoes, socks, small toys, and books from newborn through 3T. Um, and we'll be gathering those all through the month of January. The second thing that you can do is go to Walmart and buy a Walmart gift card, a Walmart gift card. That money will be used by them to buy cribs and car seats. They spend about $5,000 a year on cribs and car seats. So we want to come alongside this ministry and say, we are with you. We're for you. We're going light to help light a candle in the darkness and invest in this ministry. So if you would do that and help us with that, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, and we'll be talking about through the year. All right, we're starting a new series this morning in the book of Hebrews. So if you would open your Bible or your digital device to Hebrews, I want you to follow along. And I want to make a couple comments as uh, Caleb Webb comes to join me on the platform. Caleb, you can come right up here wherever you are. Um, we'll be in, yeah, give Caleb a hand. He's not preaching this morning, but he is going to help me. Our quizzers are studying the book of Hebrews, and uh, I want to walk through that because the book of Hebrews is about better things. And the theme of the entire book is found in the first four verses of Hebrews. I want you to listen with spiritual ears to what God would speak to you as Caleb brings to us Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Yeah, go ahead. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things in his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became just as superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Amen, amen. Give Caleb a hand. Thank you, Caleb. 
Hebrews is a book of better things. The Greek word for better is referenced 13 times in the book of Hebrews. Why was it written? It was written to establish persecuted Hebrews in their faith. There were Jews that were coming to faith and other Jews were turning on them and they were beginning to feel as though it'd be simpler to just simply go back into Judaism than to continue in this newfound faith called the way or we would refer to as Christianity. Um, they were being tempted to turn back and the writer of Hebrews wrote to encourage them in the faith. The genre of Hebrews is unique. We talk about apocalyptic literature in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. We talk about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the historical portion, Acts, and then the epistles in the New Testament. But while Hebrews would be included as an epistle or a letter to churches or to individuals, Hebrews has an entirely different feel than that of a typical epistle. It's composed more like a sermon, like an exhortative confession of faith. So it comes across to challenge us about our belief. And so I want you to be ready for this. As we go through the book of Hebrews, it is primarily, primarily theological rather than practical, which means you're going to have to bring your grown-up ears to church. And we're going to dive into this because I'm convinced the deeper our faith is, the more solid our practice will be that we live out what we believe. Authenticity of the book of Hebrews has never been questioned, but the authorship has. No one questions its authenticity. So when you study Hebrews, you'll find it said that it was written by maybe Paul, maybe Barnabas, Luke, Clement of Rome, Apollos, Silvanus, Philip, Priscilla and Aquila, Jude and others. And the strength of scholarship tends to fall on either Paul or Apollos. But it's interesting that the book is unnamed. The author does not name themselves. Why? A lot of speculation. I'm going to give you my opinion since it's my sermon. My opinion is the author of Hebrews must have felt that attaching their name would have detracted from the reception of the message. And that, and this is speculation, it's more important to get the message told than to take credit for giving the message. Is anybody hearing me this morning? It's a good principle to live by. It's more important that the message be told than someone take credit for telling the message. And so for whatever reason, they withdrew their name. So I'm going to tell you who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews. It's speculation. It comes from study. There are scholars that support this. And I think the reason for not attaching the name would be clear. I am convinced, pretty well convinced, that the book of Hebrews was not written by Paul, but was written by someone intimately associated with Paul, and I believe that that person was Priscilla. I believe Priscilla wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, let me take you on a little bit of journey and why that matters. It matters for this reason, that God is no respecter of persons. And he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And I, I would be disappointed if there wasn't some female influence in our New Testament teachings. So I just think that Priscilla fits that. But she's also intimately associated with Paul, recognized as a Bible teacher and as a church leader. Listen to this. In Acts 18.2, um, 
There he, Paul, met a Jew named Aquila, a native Pontus, who recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And so he meets them in Acts 18.2. In Acts 18.18, Paul stays down at Corinth for some time, left brothers and sisters, sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. They left Corinth and went with Paul, traveled with him as he was establishing churches. In 18.19, they arrive at Ephesus, one of the choice churches that Paul establishes in Europe. And, it, and he leaves there Priscilla and Aquila. They stay there to help establish the church in Ephesus. In chapter 18, verse 26, there's a young man who begins to preach. His name is Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila um, hear him speak boldly, and they invite him to their home to explain the way of the Lord to him more perfectly. They bring him in to teach him the scriptures. In Romans 16, 3, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. In 16, 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly. And 2 Timothy 4.19, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Now, what's really interesting in this structure, in a culture that was primarily uh, male-centric, is that in this description, in almost every case, Priscilla is named before Aquila. So here's what I know from Scripture, that it's possible for a woman to be a stronger leader than her husband without violating her husband's headship. You can do both. And that Aquila and Priscilla were a team, but the one who stepped in the forefront as a teacher and a leader and a trainer was Priscilla. Had Priscilla written a book to the Hebrews from a woman, it would have been rejected. It was more important that the message be told. I'm convinced that God used a woman to give to us one of the great theological treatises of the New Testament that we call the book of Hebrews. Now, does that matter? No, because the content isn't under question. But I do think the mystery of the authorship is worth exploring to understand the message that Jesus wants us to receive. Ruth Hoppen has written a book that provides considerable support for conviction that Priscilla is the author. She maintains that Priscilla meets every qualification, matches every clue, and looms ubiquitous in every line of investigation she comes up on a regular basis. God uses men and women for the proclamation of the gospel and the building of his kingdom, and there are no gender distinctions in our relationship to Jesus. Hello? Come on, help me this morning, or this is going to take a long time to get there. Now, we're going to divide the book of Hebrews into three separate series, one right after the other. In chapters 1 to 7, we're going to explore Jesus as a better Savior and what that means to us today. He is a better Savior. In chapters 8 to 10, because of that, we'll discover that we have a better covenant. So 1 to 7, we have a better Savior. 8 to 10, we have a better covenant. And out of that, verse chapter Chapters 11 to 13 bring us a better faith. And hopefully as we journey through that, we'll be strengthened and empowered to do what God has called us to do because we have a better Savior. We have a better covenant, and because of that, we walk in a better faith. So who is this Jesus that we talk about in the book of Hebrews? Well, number one, he is the manifestation of God's glory. He's the manifestation of God's glory. Glory. 
As Caleb quoted to us, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. How many of you know that communication in our world is very difficult? Just talking to each other. How many of you have ever misunderstood someone? How many of you have ever been misunderstood? How many of you ever listened to a politician who said they're misunderstood? But you knew what they meant. <laughs> I came across a little thing. It's just kind of fun how confusing communication can get. It was a memo that went through a business office through several uh, permutations. It came from the director general to the manager. Now watch what happens. Today at 11 o'clock, there'll be a total eclipse of the sun. This is when the sun disappears behind the moon for two minutes. And this is something that cannot be seen every day. The time will be allowed for employees to view the eclipse in our car park. Staff should meet in the car park at 11.50. And when I will deliver a short speech introducing the eclipse and giving some background information. Safety goggles will be made available at a small cost. How many of you think you understood that? Yeah, I, I do. Come on. It's, it, it wasn't hard. Be in the parking lot, all that's going to happen. Well, the manager got that, wanted to boil it down, sent it to the department head. Today at 1050, all staff should meet in the car park. This will be followed by a total eclipse of the sun, which will disappear for two minutes. For a moderate cost, this will be made safe with goggles. The director general will deliver a short speech beforehand to give us all some background information. This is not something that can be seen every day. <laughs> Moving a sentence changes the impact. The department head to the floor manager. The director general will today deliver a short speech to make the sun disappear for two minutes. This is something that cannot be seen every day. So staff will meet in the car park at 10 or 11. This will be safe if you pay a moderate cost. From the floor manager to the supervisor, 10 or 11 staff are to go to the car park where the director general will eclipse the sun for two minutes. This doesn't happen every day. It will be safe, but it will cost you. <laughs> then from the supervisor to the staff, some staff will go to the car park today to see the director general disappear. It's a pity this doesn't happen every day. <laughs> Communication is tricky. And this first part of Hebrews is about God talking to us. Can't tell you how often I hear people say, God told me or God spoke to me. Or confusion over what does God want me to do? Why doesn't God speak to me? And the book of Hebrews meets that head on. In time past, God spoke in various ways through the prophets. Think about Moses, Samuel, and Elijah, who declared, thus saith the Lord. And at other times did extra ordinary signs. You remember that Moses drew water from the rock. Samuel called down rain and thunder. And Elijah's water-soaked sacrifice in front of the prophets of Baal was licked up by the fire of God. It was the prophets that repeatedly called people to choose between life and death, between blessing or cursing. And then there were other prophets like Amos, Micah, and Jeremiah who performed no miracles. Rather, their speech is peppered with rich symbolism like locusts, fire, a plumb line in Amos, a siege upon Israel, dishonest scales and no summer fruit in Micah. The potter and the clay as well as 
both the good fruit and bad figs in Jeremiah. They also employed compelling imagery. The prophet's voice crying in the wilderness that promises wings like eagles in Isaiah. And the restoration of Israel seeing a valley full of dry bones that come together and rise up like an army. We have these phenomenal ways that God spoke in the Old Testament with clear declaration, with supernatural manifestation, with compelling imagery. But today, but today, he has spoken by his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom he also created the worlds. This shift in the voice of God from the prophets to his son becomes a dramatic um, alteration in the very fabric of God's cosmos. No longer is God speaking through prophets in the way that he did in the Old Testament. But in order for us to hear him clearly, he sent his only son to be the voice of God to us. The Son is the sacred establishment of God, the very essence of deity, a reality that no prophet could ever dare to claim. And it's the Son who sustains all things by his powerful word. Now, if you've followed me thus far, let me tell you why this matters. In the New Testament, we're called the covet to prophesy. The role of the prophet is still active in the New Testament church and in our day. But it does not carry the weight that it carried in the Old Testament. Nor does it carry the weight of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So while we need a word from God, a prophetic revelation... It is all based upon our understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is more important than signs and wonders. He is more important than prophetic declaration. He is the touchstone. He is the plumb line. He is the life in the valley of dry bones. He is everything that we need wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, and he must become central to the church again. We should be listening to the Son to hear his voice. It tells us in these first four verses that the Son is the exact representation of God. What does that mean? He is one in essence and substance. He is heir and creator of all things. He sustains all things with his word. All right, let me boil that down. What are you talking about? Do you want to see God? Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to see the Father? Show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Any revelation of God that doesn't align itself with the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ as recorded in the scriptures is heretical and cultish. Jesus, are you hearing me? How did he live? How did he speak? What did he teach to us? We need to immerse ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ lest we, lest we become misled and led astray. Jesus did not sell packets of miracle water. Come on, preach, brother. 
You want to sort out what's happening in this world? Look at Jesus. In fact, Jesus drove out of the temple those that merchandised the dove and said, you've made this place a den of thieves. Do not merchandise the working of the Holy Spirit. If you want to see God the Father, if you want to hear his voice, if you want to understand the Spirit of God, then immerse yourself in who Jesus is because he is the exact representation of God. And where is he right now? He's seated. Whoo! He's sitting down. Why? Because for this period of time that we call the church age, his work is finished. There's nothing more in the redemptive plan that needs to be done. He paid it all. What makes you say that? Why would you indicate that? Oh, you know what? I went to the cross. I said I went to the cross. And I was, I was there and watched him die. You understand I'm using figurative language, right? I've not lost my mind. I was there and I watched him die. And here's what I heard him say as his hands were extended on the arms of the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. In a loud voice, he cried, it is finished. Hallelujah. The work of redemption has been provided. Now there's a day coming. I'm going to run in a minute, brother. I'm telling you what. There's a day coming when he's going to stand up, Pastor Tim. And when he does, he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as a conquering king. Are you hearing me now? And when he stands up, all things will be made as they should be. The restitution of all things will take place. And he will return as a warrior to this planet. But until the father says, bring your bride home, he's sitting because the work of redemption is finished. He is superior to the angels. Verse 4. As the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now we'll get into this in a little bit. But it's really important as we move into the ending of this age. That we keep our eyes on Jesus more than on the supernatural. These signs shall follow them that believe. And let me remind you, Paul says, if we or an angel from heaven. Are you hearing me right now? If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have already preached to you, let him be damned. Because angels do not supersede the Son. Angels did not die for you. Angels did not cover the mercy seat for you. Come on, help me this morning. Angels are not your salvation. And I don't know what our fascination is with angels, 
Uh, do you believe in angels? Yeah, we'll get to them in a little bit. I believe in them, and I believe there's a right attitude toward them. But I'm telling you what, I'm not asking for Jesus to send an angel in my behalf. I just soon he sent the Holy Spirit to come alongside and help and let them decide where the angels need to go. And if you live through the angel era of charismania, all they need to do is read the book of Hebrews. He is the manifestation of God's glory. Now, verses 5 to 14 jump back and forth between the majesty of God's son and the ministry of God's angels. So we're going to bounce through this last part of the chapter twice. First, with the majesty of God's son. He, verse 5, Jesus, is declared by the Father to be the son. Angels did not receive this title. And he says, today I have become your father. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> Today, I have become your father. What is that referring to? Well, a clear understanding of Christology leads us to the position that Jesus Christ was eternally, is eternally existent with the father. He has always been and he will always be. Why? Would he say, today I have become your father? I was in a college class, Bible college, and the instructor was emphasizing Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed and he's always the same. He has never changed. And I said, that's not entirely true. I, I've always, you know, sometimes you just should be quiet. <laughs> and I said, well, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus change when he came to earth? Did he have a human form before Bethlehem? No. Did he get rid of his human form when he went to heaven? Nope. Do you know that God so loves us that the eternal representation of God was altered in a moment that would, that would change the Godhead forever to provide for us redemption. When God said to Jesus, who left the throne, laid aside the independent exercise of his deity, was born as a baby in a manger, and looked at that baby and said, Today, I have become your father. You have become my son. And forever forward, he is the son of God who ever lives to make intercession for us. The angels didn't get that name. Hello? The angels didn't get that name. Do you know what happens now? Because he is the son of God. Today I've become your father. That means that today he can become your father. There's a whole new relationship in the Godhead and God the father offers sonship to all those that will come through his son, the firstborn of all creation, the Jesus Christ, the son of God, makes that relationship available to us. He, in his humanity, he became the son of God. Verse 
verses 8 to 9, our human Savior gained a throne. He loved righteousness, hated iniquity. He, he, he won earthly victories. He was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, tested in every way that Adam was tested in the garden. With nothing to support him, Adam had everything in his favor. Adam failed, but Jesus came and overcame the devil and the temptations in the wilderness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus overcame on every count, won the victory for us, and God granted him a throne that we are joint heirs with. The throne of God, anointed with the oil of joy, honored above all mankind. And verses 10 to 12 tell us about this God, this Jesus, so that we don't miss it, that he is also the creator. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. He was there when Adam was created. He knew what it would cost in that moment because there isn't anything that God doesn't know while the Mountains were being formed while the seas were being scooped, while the garden was being created. And Adam and Eve were planted there. Jesus was present as the second member of the triune God, knowing what it would cost him in that moment of creation. He knew exactly, he knew exactly what it would cost for God to create mankind and bring a people to him. He remains eternal in humanity and in deity. Look at verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? What angel did he say that to? Now watch this. He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. That's what Jesus is doing. What is the Father doing? He's arranging a world to bring it to the fullness of God's time that all the enemies of the gospel will kneel before Jesus. The Father is creating a landscape, an experience, a moment in time that all of the created world will bow before him. I'm telling you, there's a day that Hitler will bow before him. There are those that hate the church today that may get the upper hand in the months that are ahead, and it may be a bumpy ride, but one day every knee will bow. Are you hearing me this morning? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They shall look on him whom they pierced, and they will worship him. And they can mock today, and they can laugh today, and they can ridicule us now, but I'm telling you that God the Father is working to a day that his foes will be his footstool, and we're in that body the body of Jesus Christ. What a glorious Savior. Are you hearing me this morning? What a glorious Savior, the majesty of God's Son. And my hope this morning is that I would lift your eyes a bit to see him as a high, holy, lofty one, and not just as this created image that we have created, this long-haired pacifist kneeling at a rock, but to see him as the warrior, the created one, the all-sufficient, everlasting God. That's the one who provided salvation for us. Let's see him exalted and lifted high. He will be given ultimate victory. What do we need to know about the angels? 
Well, there are some things we need to know. Verse 6. Let all God's angels worship him. When God brings his firstborn into the world, this isn't talking about the angels worshiping him in eternity past, pre-creation. This is what he said to them on the day that Jesus became a baby. He said to the angels, all of you, that's my son, worship him. Now, lest you think, as I've heard some pontificate, that we shouldn't celebrate the incarnation, that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas, that we should only celebrate Easter, that the incarnation doesn't matter. Those people have not read the gospel. Because when you read the New Testament, you find him saying, let when he brings his firstborn into the world, let all the angels worship him. And there's something powerful in that moment of incarnation that God is saying, I'm no longer speaking the way I spoke. I'm speaking incarnately. I'm speaking in flesh to you. I have a message that I want you to see and touch and feel that I want you to experience. You see, I was reading in the book of Acts chapter 4 when the church has been threatened and told never to preach again. They're in a tough place. The heat is increasing. And they come back to their own and they begin to pray and seek God together. Listen to how they prayed. Listen to how they prayed. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Why is that in the book of Acts? It's to show us what's being said in the book of Hebrews that there was something supernaturally, a cosmic shifting that took place when Jesus came to earth, not just to be flesh and blood, but to say it is a new day where I will empower the creation that I've made and I will do it through my son becoming one of them. And when they prayed in the name of his holy child, Jesus, God honored that with an outpouring of his spirit that shook the place where they had gathered. The incarnation is power. The incarnation is the foundation for what we believe. The sun coming is what we build our lives on. And all the angels of God worship the incarnate Christ, not just the eternal Christ. And if they worship him, we should worship him and not the angels. Now here's where we get into a little bit of difficulty they're known in Scripture, verse 7, as ministering spirits. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. And I've heard people say, well, that's talking about angels and the ministers. Ministers are flames of fire and the angels are spirits. That's not what it says. In speaking of the angels, he says. Is that clear enough? In speaking of the angels, he says, they're spirits and flames of fire of fire they do the bidding of the father fiery flames of divine service they are real and they are present ready to do the bidding of the father i don't see anything there that tells us to command them or order them it's just letting us know they're out there yeah. 
<laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not in charge. There's not an angel in heaven waiting for you to declare what they ought to do. They're waiting on the one who's on the throne to declare what they ought to do. And that comes to fruition or fullness in verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? They serve the saved. They're not ordered by the saved. They serve the Christ followers. They serve at his sending. Now, you can do whatever you want with this, and people have angelic moments and angelic visitations, all of that. But I want to tell you just a couple of stories. I do believe in the ministry of angels. While we were in Bible college, we were back on break, and we had um, a, a, a quiz event we needed to go to from Cedar Rapids to Ottumwa. And if I remember right, I, was, I think, Carol, I was driving your white Mustang. 67, oh, listen, white with red interior. What in the world? Why did we ever get rid of that? Sell the house. Keep that baby. I'm telling you today. What wisdom of youth is wasted. It's just wasted. And a snowstorm came in. Now, I don't care whether you believe this or not. I've got a car full of kids above what would be the recommended norm. And we go into a curve, and I'm sliding. How do you know that when you hit ice, you slide outward, not inward? How many know that? It pushes you outward. I am sliding. I'm out of control. I'm sliding across the center line, and we're headed on a curve into the ditch with oncoming traffic. And I, I've just, I can't explain this to you, but as it's sliding, I couldn't, you can't steer that. You can't. It stopped sliding and slid back into the lane of traffic. Believe what you want. But I believe the father said, one of my idiot children's in trouble. <laughs> Sent a couple angels down and they got on either side of that and slid me back Amen. where I needed to be. I was driving the other day. I've showed, told the story. I won't tell it in all of its detail. Just a few weeks ago, hit black ice on I-8035, and I went sliding at a 45-degree angle as traffic is coming toward me at 70 miles an hour at least. And I hit, my bumper hit the cement barricade on the inside of the interstate and as I hit it, it didn't spin me around. It spun me straight back into a lane of traffic. Now, you can believe what you want, but that should have pitched me one way or the other, rolled the truck, something bad should have happened. What do you believe? I believe that an angel said, let's help him remember not to do this again and shoved me into that barricade. And the other one caught me and kept me going straight. Let me tell you what I didn't do. In either of those cases... I did not cry out, oh, angels of God, help me. <sighs> One word. One word came out of my mouth. Jesus. Jesus. And it wasn't a swear word. 
It was a prayer. It was a calling on the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for me. And angels were dispatched. I'm not calling on angels. I'm worshiping the Son of Almighty God who dispatches angels to, to minister in our time of need. They're there. They're there. Jesus is supreme, and he is better than the angels. We have a better Savior. Come on, we have a better Savior. He is glorious. He's majesty. He's the fullness of God. Tim Keller was writing about the gospel, and he said, one of the things we learn as we grow in faith is that the gospel is not the ABCs of faith. It's the A to Z of faith. You never get finished with the gospel and then moved on to more profound stuff. The gospel is the profound stuff. What we need to do is begin to explore the depths and the breadth and the height of this gospel we've been entrusted with. Not a mile wide and a half inch deep, but that we might know the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God and his calling on our lives and the truth of the gospel message. And once again, once in a while, take some time to ponder just how big he really is. Just how big he really is. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. I was reading about a pastor. Someone gave me a cup. Um, I think, I, I've forgotten now who gave it to me. It'll come to me, but it's in my office sitting on my desk. And it says, be careful what you say. You may become part of one of my sermons. <laughs> Something to that effect. This dad, he's a pastor and a preacher's kid. Little girl has a picture book. She kept a daily notebook, and sometimes she'd draw, and sometimes she'd write some things. And on one page, she drew a picture of her father and had carefully written his name and address in her journal. She drew his picture, wrote his name and address. Her father found that curious and asked her why. Are you ready for this? <laughs> She explained that she had just finished watching a movie about amnesia. And she said, if I ever forget who I am, I want everybody to know who I belong to. <sighs> who you belong to is more important than who you think you are. We are children of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We've celebrated that this morning. And if we can put that in the forefront of 2021, doesn't matter what else happens. He is the majesty of God. He is the fullness of God. He was incarnate and lived among us. We have a better father, a better word from the father. He's a better supernatural source than the prophets or the angels. And so my declaration to you this morning is, let all God's people worship him. <sighs> Would you stand with me and let's just end with all God's people worship him. We have a better sound.
worship him. with our eyes firmly fixed on the glory of Jesus Christ. And we 
will never be ashamed nor disappointed with our focus on him.